Hi boys and girls, just wanted to say hello and give you a little bit of a heads up about this episode. This isn't uh, your standard uh, Garden Variety Vegas Gang episode. This is a, a special edition featuring a Las Vegas cab driver, Andrew, who was nice enough to speak with Chuck and me about Uber and what they mean for Las Vegas and beyond. Um, as you will hear, Andrew's not a huge fan of Uber um, and uh, shares a lot of information. He encourages you in the audience to go out and do your own research. And so if this is a topic that interests you, I would reiterate that. So anyway, without further ado, here we go. Well, we're here today talking with Andrew, the semi-infamous uh, LV Cab Chronicles on Twitter. I don't know um, how many of our listeners here are uh, are following Andrew on Twitter, but I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's uh, usually a very entertaining read. Um, as you might have guessed from the uh, from the Twitter handle, Andrew is a uh, is a cab driver in Las Vegas, and um, while he ha- while in addition to all of his uh, Sometimes very humorous stories about uh, what goes on in his job. Um, he's also been somewhat outspoken about the uh, addition of Uber to Las Vegas, or at least temporary edition. Um, and that's what we want to talk about today. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Andrew, thank you so much for doing this. No problem. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to have sort of a long-winded take on things. Yeah. Well, so one one of the things I like about your... Um, about the tweets that you write is it's clear that uh, you're an articulate and, and smart guy. And so uh, when I saw you um, engaging with some other folks on Twitter on the Uber thing, I thought this would be a really good opportunity to talk a little bit about this from somebody that really knows a lot more about the transportation industry in Las Vegas than I do. So I will say up front that uh, I have used Uber I don't know, a handful of times personally, um, in California, in Washington, D.C. Uh, I think that's probably more or less it. But uh, And I've personally found it to be, in those instances, to for it to be um, a, a fairly positive experience. I have not been uh, raped or murdered in either of those, um, either of those instances, not to make light of that. But um, I, more seriously, I've... Uh, I've had a usually pretty positive experience, um, so I will. Co- I'm sort of coming at it from that perspective. That said, I don't necessarily have. I know that there are some folks that feel very strongly about Uber's uh, opportunity to to um, participate in places like Las Vegas, and I know that folks. Well, I know folks feel strongly on both sides of the issue. So um, I guess I just want <clears throat> to start with that and just ask you, as someone, well, why don't why don't we talk? real quick, a little bit about sort of your background and sort of how long you've been doing this gig and uh, so folks can get a sense of uh, of sort of your expertise. Well, I've been driving a cab in Vegas for over 10 years now. Been on the, the mean streets of Sin City, so to speak. Uh, throughout that time, I've, uh, you know, could become very knowledgeable about the transportation industry here and everything that goes into it. I know Uber, obviously, is a worldwide company, and there's, there are different issues in every market that they're in and every country that they're in. Uh, obviously, I'm going to be most familiar about uh, what's going on here in Vegas. But, and, and, you know, I typically try to avoid, you know, you mentioned uh, my Twitter feed. I try to avoid the politics of the business and, and have for a long time. Uh, but this is something that's uh, sort of a huge, monumental uh, issue going on. 
And I think the reason I'm most concerned about it is because there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of uh, wool over the eyes that Uber's been able to pull over people. And um, sort of knowing better, I sort of see it partly as my duty, you know, to sort of shift the light on things. And I think it's real easy for people to dismiss anything I say as, as being biased, you know. And I come across that a lot in, uh, in just the online interactions and whatnot. But I would urge you to not be so quick to do that. You know, my bias has, uh, I won't, it, uh, I'll admit that, of course, I have a bias. That's obvious, but that's not really relevant to any of the truths that I may speak. You know, and anything that I'm going to say here today is more than likely uh, is going to be verifiable. So if you don't take my word for it, by all means, get online. Uh, by all means, make a phone call. Um, ask other people about it. You don't just have to take my word for it. So naturally, it's it sort of this is a sword, I, or, or you know something I picked up and ran with the flag I picked up and ran with, and uh, very cool of you guys asked me on here today to sort of expound. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, for the, I guess for those that um, maybe have heard of Uber but aren't super familiar with what they do, or maybe they live in a city where it doesn't <clears> operate, I guess I should really quickly just sort of explain what it is. I sort of take that for granted. But Uber, uh, as it currently stands, is a ride-sharing service. I think that's how they describe themselves. Um, they have an app where you uh, will see a map with a bunch of cars on it, and you say, come pick me up. And um, then someone arrives at your location and uh, theoretically takes you where you want to go. Um, and then you get out and go on your way. And one of the, the nice things about the app that they've set up is that all of the payment details are already included. So there's no uh, – you don't have to sit in the back of the car at the end of the ride and sort of get all that stuff sorted out. It's all, it's all built into the app. So it's really sort of <clears throat> get in, go where you're going, get out. Uh, Uber is sort of a darling of Silicon Valley at the moment. Uh, they have uh, they just raised some more money, and it was at an incredibly high, I think, $30 billion valuation. Um, so at, at the moment, they're one of these companies that's uh, getting a lot of attention from venture capitalists. And they've been in the news quite a bit recently. Um, they, uh, they're, I would describe them as, as a fairly aggressive company. They like to move into markets where... Uh, the kind of uh, business that they're running may or may not technically be legal. They sort of take the uh, get. It's better to ask forgiveness than get permission tack in many of the places that they operate, which has gotten them in some trouble um, in a bunch of different markets. And so, in addition to that, there's been a recent brouhaha over them uh, making some statements about how they plan to create a. a uh, information campaign against a reporter that was looking into some of their business dealings that got a lot of bad press over that. And, you know, perhaps most importantly, there have been a series of stories of situations where people that have used Uber, um, the drivers have done some terrible things. There was a story out of India not too long ago. I saw some somebody linking today to some issues in Boston as well, and that's, you know, not uh, unique to those markets. This has been a problem. I I guess, you know, the whole safety aspect is seems to me like something that could sort of undo um, a lot of the. You know, I know people that that really are fans of the service, but if it's not safe, it's not really worth all that much. I know that. Well, I, I've heard uh, Andrew, you talk on Twitter a little bit about some of um, about how some of those concerns are mitigated with with taxis in Vegas, but I don't know if people really realize the extent to how that all works and what the sort of regulations are that you're subjected to as a cab driver. 
the regulations are huge, and also they're equally huge and equally important. You know, the, the type of business that we're talking about, you know, delivering live persons to places in exchange for money, uh, that's a very, very specific type of business. Uh, there's a term for it, they call it a library service, uh, and it's such a specific type of service that uh, regulators across the world, and even especially here in Nevada, they carve out specific niches into the laws, into the rule books about how these businesses need to operate. And the genesis of all of those ideas is about public safety. You know, that's the biggest thing uh, with this issue is, you know, you're getting in a stranger's car. We need to make sure that the car is safe. We need to make sure that the driver is who they say he is. We need to make sure that that driver has gone through a vetted process um, so we don't have ex-felons and uh, rapists uh, driving our people around. And all of these things have their roots in public safety. So, and, you know, Uber has basically skirted all of these things. You know, you say that they, they sort of ask for forgiveness instead of permission. That's actually not entirely true because in most markets, um, they've actually sat down with regulators in advance and sort of, for lack of a better term, hat in hand, come to the state and said, hey, this is what we want to do, what do we need to do to do business. And in every single instance, the regulators, and if you just want to talk about Nevada, they met uh, earlier last year, or late last year, I believe, um, they, said, they sat down and said, hey, these are the criteria you guys need to do uh, in order to do business. And... Uber just totally disregards that. They're, they're unwilling to compromise on anything. I know in Nevada they gave them five sort of bullet points. You know, if you guys can, can pull up these five things and meet these five standards, then uh, we'll talk seriously about licensing you. And every single one of those points, Uber said, well, we're not doing that. And as soon as they say we're not doing that, they just come into the market anyway and start uh, operating it. It's a very brazen, sort of, like you said, aggressive, I don't even know those, that that's a, a, a fitting term. You know, and when they were in court here in Nevada, when the uh, Attorney General was seeking the preliminary injunction, the judge, uh, Freeman, asked Uber representatives, you know, why didn't you guys apply for a license uh, before you began operating? Why didn't you apply for a motor carrier's permit? And their response was, well, we didn't think those laws applied to us. Well... That's obviously not true because you sat down with regulators earlier this year and they told you in no uncertain terms that they applied to you. You just decided that they didn't apply to you. So that's sort of uh, the attitude that they take. They have no respect for what the proper regulations are. And as such, they have no respect for the safety of their passengers. I don't think, I don't think it's a stretch to say that. Um, so, I, yes. Yeah, so I, I am not an expert on Uber's practices by any means. It sounds like you're far more familiar than, than I am. So please correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that it is their, that it is their policy to do background checks. I don't, is there something about the – do you know – I guess I should start by do you know if that's accurate? And if it is accurate, any sense of, uh, of you know, are those somehow less effective than the kinds of uh, the checks that you're that you're subjected to? Um, is there something inferior about the way that they're conducting that process? They're far inferior, and they're more in place just so they could say that there's a background check. You know, that's the whole purpose is just so they can say that there is one. 
But basically what they do is use like an online company who will do a search on that person's name, and depending on what comes up on that person's name, they will approve it or not approve it. You know, compare that to what I had to go through through the state of Nevada. You know, I went through an FBI background check. You know, I had to give my fingerprints. You know, the the Texas Cab Authority is a, a state-run uh, regulatory authority. You know, they they themselves go through the background check. You know, my permit has the seal of Nevada on it. That that's the state of Nevada telling people that this guy's safe. You know, to drive you. So who's who's indemnifying the Uber driver? You know, the company isn't, and none of the states have. So who's really backing that person? The answer to that question is, is no one. And you're starting to see now, I mean, the bigger Uber gets, the more of these sorts of problems, you know, with the sexual assaults and the numerous uh, rapes that have occurred for single female passengers, it's getting way out of hand. And, and I was talking about it on Twitter yesterday, and... I know it's a boring topic for a lot of people, but uh, in all honesty, how many people need to get raped before we say we need to take a look, a serious look at this? You know, it's uh, there was another one in Chicago uh, 30 days ago that uh, you know you hadn't mentioned. So it's um, you know I know in LA, for example, there's a um, a girl I'm sort of friends with who's who's used to use Uber, and she says every time she does it, that she always um, you know there's never any sort of assurance. You know, who's to say that driver can't just take him home, take her home? Uh, you know, there's no, there's no vetting basically at all. They basically just say, you know, we do an online check, and this guy's okay, therefore, you know, he's fine to drive you. And Uber has to, has to walk a very fine line with this, and they're going to run into a problem because they, they just came out yesterday. They're saying they're going to reevaluate their, their safety checks. And, this, of course, after they've been claiming forever that they're, quote, best in class in their uh, uh, background check. <clears throat> Excuse me. Best in class, like they're, they're selling cars or something. I, I don't know what, what really that means. <laughs> but clearly, clearly, they're not best in class, um, you know, because of these incidents that are occurring. And, and I was asked to uh, pose the question, too, you know, all the guys that get denied for a taxicab permit, which there are plenty, you know, who do you think they go drive for? Yeah, well, that's a reasonable question. So, and furthermore, all the drivers that get their uh, permits revoked. You know, there are plenty of guys who, you know, break the law too many times or uh, for various reasons, uh, DUI, and not that that happens very much, but um, there's, there's a sort of a body there to make sure that the people that are driving our citizens around are safe to do so, and it's vital that that happens. So my point about Uber walking a fine line is, you know, they're trying to label these drivers as independent contractors. You know, their whole business model is based upon not being responsible for the behavior of the drivers. That's the promises that they've made to their investors. And if they fail at that, if in the end it turns that they do have to be responsible for their drivers, their business model cannot stand that. Um, they're just simply not going to be able to survive. And they're... Um, so the more stringent checks they go through to make sure that these drivers are safe, the more that Uber takes the reins on that process as opposed to farming it out to some websites like they do now, the closer they become to being employers. And so they really can't vet them to the extent that the TA does because that's not how a, a secondary support 
independent contractor relationship really works. That's how an employer-employee relationship works. Right. And Uber can't be an employer. I mean, that's their, their biggest thing. And currently there's a class action suit in California um, with over 100 drivers, Uber drivers, that are suing Uber for what they call misclassification. Right. And they're stating right. that, uh, you know, we're not independent contractors. We are employees. And there's a, a, a checklist that the court goes through to sort of determine, you know, it's like, I forget the name of it, but it's like a 23 or 24 question list. And you kind of go down this list and they ask, ask different questions. And if it falls this way, then you turn on being a, a, an independent contractor. If they fall this the other way, then they turn on being an employee. And this is vital for Uber. I mean, this could be a death blow if the court rules that, that these people are employees. Because then you're talking about, it opens up a huge can of worms about liability with regards to the insurance. It opens up a huge can of worms with uh, workman's comp and payroll taxes and then income taxes, too. So this is not something, yeah, they, they claim it's $40 billion valuation, actually, which is absurd because that's like more than, I think, Southwest Airlines and JetBlue Airlines combined. And these are outfits that uh, own hundreds of, you know, $100 million planes. But meanwhile, Uber has absolutely no assets whatsoever, and somehow they've, they've gained this valuation, which is, you know, I don't know that it's really been verified by anyone. It's the only, only place you hear that from is Uber, and then all the media just regurgitates it. So this sort of thing with the vetting of the drivers, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how it plays out. And, and like I said, you, you know, listen to all the rhetoric that comes out of Uber and uh, with what I just said in mind. You know, that's what I would say. So I have, let's, uh, let's take this from the perspective of just an average Joe on the street that says maybe he's used Uber once or twice, has no idea about any of these details, um, <clears throat> and, and says, yeah, well, I used it, and it seemed to work. I, I liked it. It was good. Uh, why would right. you stop, stop this from, from happening? And so I guess what I'd like to ask you is, do you feel like – it sounds like there are – that you are subject to a lot of regulation and um, that – a lot, if not all of it, may be wholly appropriate. But do you feel like that the that's whether it's regulation or some other business practices of, of cab companies, be it in Las Vegas or anywhere, have created an opportunity for Uber from the perspective of a consumer? Because there are parts of that experience. If you if you if you ignore, and I realize it's a big thing to ignore safety issues for a minute, um, it is it is a nice experience to be able to just get in, get out, and and it's all sort of streamlined. Do you feel like that there's anything that the cab industries could learn from what Uber has created in that sense, and uh, and maybe sort of neutralize the even the reason for Uber to exist at all? I do. You know, I, I said before that uh, the cab companies are currently paying for their past sins uh, because they they. You know, they have faltered in, I guess I would say, in some aspects of the business. And at the same time, it is sort of the nature of the business. You know, I've, with regards to passengers, it's, you know, at Walmart on the other side of town who can't get a cab on a Friday night. You know, there, there is a, a small segment, a very small segment of the riding public who tends to be foregone uh, in this city, you know, especially when it's very busy on the Strip. And the taxi cab authority has taken measures to try to combat that problem by, you know, making geographically restricted cabs and, and cabs that can't go to the strip. And their sole purpose is to is to make sure that those people are taken care of. 
And, you know, it's when you're trying to service a, a city of 2 million people, plus all the visitors that are here, there's bound to be people that are disappointed. You know, it, but in the end, um, 95% of the time, you're going to get a cab. It may not be as timely as you thought it should have been, but uh, you're going to get one. And I think another point, you know, that I think needs to be made is a lot of people, and kind of like how you did, and, and Uber definitely does, uh, they want to create this line, this bright line between uh, taxi cabs and Uber cabs. You know, they've tried to say that they are not taxi cabs. They're in some ride-sharing realm. You know, they use that term ride-sharing, which is a, a pretty ingenious labeling of themselves. Because it sort of ties with a lot of the federal money that come in with the, the HOV lanes, the high occupancy vehicles, and the sort of green approach that mm -hmm. uh, you know our society is taking now. And they they pick that term on purpose because it's sort of like they, they can say, well, wait a minute, we're building these HOV lanes and we're sort of taking the green initiatives across the land, uh, and we're right in tune with that. So you know you should be for this sort of thing. But let's be clear, you know, what what they're doing is not ride-sharing. What they're doing is taxi service. What they're doing mm -hmm. is library service. And right. as I said, there's a very specific niche for how those things work. And if, you know, if you have a car and your neighbor needs uh, their car broke down and, and she needs a ride to the grocery store and you want to give her a ride, if you want to share a ride with her or she wants to share a ride with you, uh, no one has any problems with that. And when you get to the store, if she wants to slip you $5 for gas and you accept it, no one has a problem with that either. The change comes when the point of the transaction is the money. That's where the threshold is. And so, and if you look at, I'll bring this up now actually. Okay, so Uber's trying to say that there's a bright line between them and taxi cabs. If you just look at the definition of what a taxi cab is in this state, uh, if you look up NRS 706-124, it's right there. You don't have to take my word for it. It's public record. You can look at it online. There's sort of five criteria that define what a taxi cab is, okay? First one is has to transport less than six people, six people or less, including the driver. So clearly Uber's going to fall into that category. Uh, number two, they don't travel on a fixed route. So they're sort of from anywhere to anywhere. That's the nature of a taxi cab, and certainly Uber would fall into that category as well. Number three, it's open to the public. Uh, they don't discriminate. They're not uh, for private hire. They're open to the public. Anyone uh, with the capability can download their app and request their service, maybe even trumpet at that part because it's it's not discriminatory, and you know some minorities say that they're having right. a time. I've heard that. Uh, getting a cab, right? So, okay, certainly they're open to the public. Can't debate that. Uh, number four, this is the biggest one: taking people places in exchange for money. That's the real issue. And number five, of course, Uber. We've decided is taking people to places in exchange for money. And number five, they have a means of calculating the fare. A means of calculating what that amount of money should be, and certainly Uber has that with their app system. So there's five bullet points that, you know, determine if you are a taxi cab or not, and I don't think anyone can debate that Uber plainly fits into all five of those categories, 
And this is also interesting because, you know, they, they like to say, well, we've revolutionized uh, the transportation industry. Well, that definition I just gave you was written in 1969. <laughs> okay. And, and it still clearly applies. You know, all Uber has done is changed the means of dispatch from over the air uh, or over the phone, like how we currently do it, to over the Internet, basically. So... There is no distinction between the two. It's all a facade. You know, Uber cabs are cabs, just like taxi cabs are cabs. And they're being regulated in exactly the same manner that all the other cabs are. And that's the way it should be. You know, I, I had a conversation with a guy uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that the regulators are focusing way too much on Uber, and it's, it's BS. You know, it's like, how could you say that? You know, all they're all they're trying to do is make them follow the same rules that I'm already following. So the only reason they're focused on Uber more than me is because they already know I'm compliant, and they already know that Uber is not. So naturally, any regulatory body is going to focus on the non-compliance. That's their job. That's you know. <clears throat> and I'll make this other point too uh, before I forget that a lot of people think the TA is uh, a state-funded organization. It's actually a self-funded organization. So the Technical Authority in Nevada received zero tax dollars uh, from the state. They received their operating budgets via the trip charges that the cab companies give them, which is to the tune of 25 cents for every fare in Las Vegas, as well as the licensing fees that the drivers pay, as well as the fines that the drivers pay for certain citations and the fines that the cab companies pay uh, for their citations. So this is not a burden on the state in any way, shape, or form. And at the same time, it uh, serves an incredible benefit. And, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying that the TA actually serves an incredible benefit. <laughs> but um, with regards to public safety, you can't deny that they do. I mean, that's the role in this is to protect the public. And as you brought up, we're already seeing what happens when, when those things are put on the back burner. So. Yeah. That's maybe my biggest takeaway uh, for everyone is that Uber cabs are cabs, just like the one I drive. The only difference is the driver hasn't been vetted and he's not properly insured. And the insurance topic is uh, a big one that hopefully we can uh, get to today as well. Yeah, I would love to. Um, real quick, before we dive into into insurance and some of these other details you had mentioned um i think a moment ago that you'd said on twitter that in some of this stuff is are is um cab companies paying for past sins and i would love to dive into get into that just a little bit and get a sense of what you think those sins may have been i mean i think i, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I, I get the impression that cab companies as entities aren't loved by the public right clearly uh, Las Las Vegas uh, with four, you know forty million tourists this year, um, people are using cabs all the time and they're getting where they need to go. And I've ridden in many, many, many more than I could count, and ninety percent of the time I've had a totally fine experience. Of course, like everybody else, I've had situations where maybe the driver took a route that seemed like it was potentially being padded or didn't know where they were going or something along those lines. It happens. Um, but uh, in terms of some of those past sins, what, what would you say that those are, and h how is the industry reacting to a new entrants like Uber? Is it changing the way you guys do business at all? 
Uh, I wouldn't say so. Um, you know, just speaking for Vegas, I know in other cities, uh, other drivers would answer that question differently. But you know, their exposure here was was only for four weeks or so, and um, there's such a huge demand for cab service that they were really just a drop in the bucket. And you know, they weren't operating on the strip or at the airport anyway. Which was sort of funny, by the way. They were telling people, you know, we're not allowed to operate on the strip yet. Which, you know, they weren't allowed to operate anywhere. You know, they were sort of <laughs> trying to paint that picture. But, you know, with regards to the past ends, I mean, obviously, the number one issue with uh, cabs really everywhere is long hauling, and Uber claims to have uh, solved that problem with the GPS navigation systems. But what you'll learn is, is that the Uber drivers are. Uh, falling into all the same pitfalls that the cab drivers do. Why? Because they're cabs and because they operate in the same sort of business that all the other cabs do. So, and I've always said too, with regards to the long haul thing, that it, it also comes down to sort of a buyer beware issue. You know, there's some, uh, the more you know about what your route should cost and the, and the, and the route um, you should be going, the better off you're going to be, no different than if you were buying a used car, the more you know about it, uh, the better off you're going to be. So the long hauling is one, and no, I haven't seen any uh, big changes with regards to that, you know. But I also don't think it's nearly as big of a problem as people make it out to be. Mm -hmm. It's something that, you know, people love to complain about their cab driver. It's almost, almost trendy, you know. Right, and, and and same way, you know, saying your Uber driver is the coolest ever is, is trendy now. You know, part <laughs> of what I have to combat against is is nobody ever remembered a good cab cab ride. Right. You know, you don't right. hear about the bad ones. So I'm going to mention a Twitter account now. There's a guy, uh, a former Uber driver, who sort of made it his his mission, if you will, to archive um, Uber complaints. And what you, what's interesting about it is when you read these complaints. It's the you could take out Uber and put a taxi cab and it reads exactly the same. It reads exactly the same because they're cab drivers and because they're in the same exact business. So if you find the, this guy by the name of Next Apprentice One, Next Apprentice One, at Next Apprentice One, he's uh, like I said, a former driver. And just take a look at his his feed and look at the complaints uh, that people say on Twitter about Uber, and they're addressed to Uber, by the way. They're sort of seeking redress. Right. And you tell me that, that it's any different. I mean, I, I don't know that it is. The only difference is that people haven't realized that, that Uber drivers uh, fall into the same exact pitfalls that the cab drivers do. And I compare it to that cab driving is sort of like fishing, okay? And if you, if you fish the same pond long enough, you start to figure out where you should be and when, and maybe more importantly, where you shouldn't be and when. And it's only a matter of time before the Uber drivers get the experience to sort of figure out those things as well. You know, a big part of it is being able to sniff out uh, what's going to be lucrative for you and what isn't going to be lucrative for you. I mean, let's, let's face it, yeah, we're, we're in a public service, and yes, we want to execute every single ride, but each individual person is working for their own end, you know, and for their own families and for their own income. So naturally, they're going to seek rides that are going to net them more, more funds, more money. So you'll start to see people, you already see it, you know, people complaining that their Uber driver is on the way, that he cancels the fare because the surge rate goes up, and the surge is another thing we can talk about. Um, 
and then they'll rebook it after the rate increases. Or, you know, Uber drivers will accept the rides and they'll call the passenger and say, hey, where are you going? And the passenger will say, oh, I'm just going down the street. And then the driver will promptly uh, cancel the ride because he's not going to drive 10 minutes right. across town to drive you two minutes across town. So it's, I mean, yeah, I say we're paying for our past sins, but a lot of that is, is just a public perception of that, you know, mm-hmm. because we're the big bad cab drivers and they're the, super cool Uber driver, and uh, it's really nonsense, really. And so, you know, I, I had a guy the other day who was trying to, you know, we were going, uh, I was saying some pitfalls that Uber drivers fall into, and, of course, he comes back with uh, all the pitfalls that cab drivers fall into. And, again, it's no coincidence because it's the same exact business. And I finally said to him, you know, we could go quid pro quo all day on, on bad cab drivers and bad Uber drivers, but I'm not sure where that leaves you at the end of the conversation. I think it leaves you with that these things need to be regulated, you know? Yeah. So that's uh, – go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to sort of circle back to the question of the insurance, right? Because I know okay. that uh, – you know the insurance situation for you guys is you know it's it's very um, it's articulated right it's very clear what's required and, and what standard it must meet. Uh, sounds like it's not as articulated on the Uber side if it exists at all. I guess I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and and this may be where I'm showing my naivete. But as a customer, should I care about that? And if so, why? Well, again, the the whole point of the regulators is for public safety. You know that the rider, when paying for a service, has an insur- uh, an assurance that um, it's going to be safe. You know that's the biggest point in all of this. And if you want to deliver pizzas to people, if you want to deliver cargo, you know Uber wants to deliver mail. Nobody cares about the insurance aspect of it, or I certainly don't. You know, it, it makes no difference if you want to transport cargo. But again, that's why this specific niche in the laws are carved, because transporting people uh, to destinations in exchange for money is an uh, inherently dangerous thing. You know, you're more dangerous uh, being in any car than you are in a plane. That's a common, repeated thing. So the exposure that you're exposed to when you get into any car, you know, whether it has insurance or not, are are massive. You know, there's so many things that can go wrong that there really needs to be some assurance for the rider, especially when they're paying for it. You know, if you're not paying for it, then again, it's another issue. But when you are paying for it, um, absolutely, there has to be assurances that that, you know, especially because Uber riders, think that there are. That's, that's the biggest issue. It's, you, know, right. you know, people say, well, I should have the choice. Well, what if your choice is based on misinformation? What if your choice is based on you not understanding what your choice really is? Right. And, of course, Uber is actively seeking your, your misunderstanding uh, on the issue. So uh, I'll give you a choice. If you want to say choice, then, okay, if I had said two years ago, let's cancel all the commercial liability policies for all the cab companies, do you think anyone would have said that that's a good idea? I doubt it. Exactly. So why is it a good idea now? It's not. Yeah. So about the insurance, okay, here's, there's really so much to talk about with this. And stop me if I, uh, if I lose you. But 
for starters, when you go as an Uber driver, when you sign a contract with them, uh, as a part of that agreement, you acknowledge that your insurance, your personal insurance, is primary. So your personal insurance is going to be on the hook first before Uber's vaunted uh, liability coverage. That's the first thing. And drivers don't even understand that. You know, they think that Uber's coverage is primary, but it isn't. You know, I made the joke that if, uh, if I was an Uber driver, any incident I was ever in, I would probably acknowledge that I'm an Uber driver. You know, hey, uh, sorry about that. Uber driver here. You know, don't forget, <laughs> I work for Uber. You know, yeah. But in the end, you, you've already agreed that your insurance is primary. So that's interesting. You know, when you call your insurance company for your personal car and you get a policy from them, they typically ask you, uh, what do you use your car for? You know? And you say, well, I use my car for going to work, going to the grocery store, and going right. to a movie on Friday night. And they calculate your policy based on that sort of usage. Right. And not only have they calculated based on that usage, but in most uh, providers, they expressly forbid uh, commercial activity under those policies. It's not just like uh, you're taking a chance. I mean, they, they actually tell you and you sign an agreement that you're not going to use your car for that service. So uh, the other day, uh, or a couple weeks ago, my personal insurance on my personal vehicle uh, had come up, and I sort of uh, was excited to call my agent to uh, renew my policy and also to get the opportunity to pick his brain about this. Yeah, And I asked him, you know, just hypothetically speaking, uh, if I decided to, to drive for Uber with my personal car, uh, could you insure me for that activity? And if so, how much would it cost? And do you want to take a guess to what the answer I, to that question was? I have no idea, but I'm, I'm assuming I'm about to be surprised. Well, keep in mind, uh, the carrier I use is State Farm, a nationwide uh, reputable firm. Yep. And his answer was very telling. He said, Andrew, not only can I not insure you for that activity, I can't even refer you to someone who can insure you for that activity. Huh. Se- secondly, if we did find you a company that would insure you for that activity, the policy is going to range between $1,000 and $1,500 a month wow. for that sort of coverage for commercial liability and... If that wasn't enough, it's not enough to just have the money to pay that policy. They don't just give those policies to anyone who calls up and says, hey, I need commercial liability insurance. Um, and there's a reason for that. You know, our company, the company I work for, has such a policy, and it's incredibly expensive. I don't know the exact number, but I know it's astronomical. Okay. So if there is any reason why Uber is ever less expensive than cabs, this is the reason, because they're not incurring that sort of expense. Right. You know, so the reason why not everyone can get a policy like that is because the, the provider, the insurance provider, needs a lot of assurances that um, you're doing what they say you're going to do. And it's things like, you know, when I show up to work, uh, you know, if I went out drinking last night and I've got alcohol on my breath and I go to work in the morning, you know, there's a, there's a manager there that gives me my keys and gives me my medallion. And if he suspects that I'm inebriated, he's going to be there to not give me the keys. Right. You know, and the insurance company likes things like that because there's sort of some checks there that they mm-hmm. can count on. And I have to provide my driving records, my personal driving records to my employer every six months. And they submit it to their insurance company every six months. 
and they they're got, it, it happens where the insurance company uh, they get one of these driver histories from one of the drivers and they say you know we can't we don't want this guy on the policy anymore and the company's fine him. yeah wow you know so that's the first part of it you know and uh, i'll give you one question and next time you take an uber a cab or if you talk to anyone about this that's driving for them uh anyone who's thinking about it uh, i'm going to give you a question to ask that, that person and, and just sit back and watch what kind of answer you get uh, with this conversation in mind. But you ask them, how much did your personal insurance increase after you informed them that you were using your car for this sort of activity? <laughs> okay, yeah, I, and your answer, I, go, go ahead. No, I was going to say I have a feeling I know uh, what the answer would be, at least in a lot of circumstances. Right, and if you go, there's a website for Uber drivers called uberpeople.net. And you can go there and read uh, the driver's philosophies on this, and they all talk about how they understand, some of them, that they're taking a risk. In other words, they know that they're not covered. You know? So, and the, so the ones that do it knowingly are, are frauding, and the other ones are just ignorant. But in the end, the point is the coverage isn't there. So then Uber says, well, we've got a million dollars in liability coverage that that will cover any sort of issue uh, that arises in Uber cab. And this enables all the Uber drivers to say, no, no, we've got a million dollars in coverage. This also goes back to what I said before about how <clears throat> Uber is trying to draw a line between themselves and the drivers. You know, they're trying to claim, you know, that they're independent contractors and not employers. Well, right. the more that they insure those people or claim to insure those people, the more they sort of become employees. That's why they can't really do anything meaningful uh, in that regard. So let's just talk about the insurance that Uber provides, which is, as I said, secondary to the driver's insurance, which most drivers, again, uh, don't even realize. But that policy is from a company. This is very interesting stuff here. Uh, It's from a company called James River Insurance. It's also the same company that insures all the Lyft drivers and or the Lyft Corporation, I should say, and I believe Sidecar as well, but definitely Uber and Lyft uh, use this firm to uh, for their policy. If you go to James Rivers Insurance uh, website, uh, there's a couple of interesting things on there. One, you know, the, all the insurance company websites, they always list what sort of policies they provide, what sort of insurances that they do, what sort of packages uh-huh. they can put together. Right. And interestingly, transportation is not even listed on that. And if you know anything about the insurance business, you know that insurance companies aren't exactly keen on jumping into industries that they have no experience in. You know, insurance companies go by sort of past knowledge. Right. You know, so insurance companies are not big into you know being a snowplow into a new uh, into a new field. And okay, so James River Insurance—they've got no uh, history in transportation. That's interesting. Well, how long has James River Insurance been around? Well. All of 10 years. Well, that's interesting. 10 years? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Okay. And if you dig a little deeper, this insurance company is based in where? Bermuda? Uh. Okay. (laughs) That's interesting. Second, or fourthly, if you look at the insurance certificates that uh, Uber actually produced, uh, keeping in mind that the only reason they did ever produce it was because one of their employees leaked the document. 
And then the following day, Hoover came out and said, hey, see, transparency, we're showing everyone. Well, no, you're showing everyone because the document was leaked, and now you have to show everyone. But if you look at the actual certificate, <clears throat> Uber is not even listed as an insurer. It's actually a company called Razor. Um, so Uber has no insurance. It's actually a company called Razor that has the insurance. And uh, the Uber drivers sign a contract with Razor or Razor. Uh, they don't actually sign a contract with Uber. So they're, Uber set up the, they're, so they're creating they set up this, this structure to sort of sorry. shift the liability? Uh, to protect themselves, to shield yeah. themselves from the liability. Absolutely. There's a, another step there between them, a little divider between them and the drivers. So technically speaking, Uber themselves does not have any insurance for their drivers. Uh, that's a fact, and and you can look that up. But again, you don't have to um, uh, take my word for it. So, and the last part about the insurance is that um, I don't want to get too much into a field that I, I'm not an expert in. Well, not that I'm an expert in any other field, but um, they operate on uh, James River Insurance operates on what they call a non-admitted basis, and every state has different rules on this. And some states are non-admitted states are, are okay, and other states are what they call admitted states. And what that means is those states that are admitted states have like a sort of insurance board that mm. any insurance provider seeking to insure anyone in that state, they must go through a sort of a, a registration process. They have to register with the state, and then the state sort of gives them a rubber stamp and says, okay, you're okay to uh, offer insurance in our state. I don't know all the states, that, how they fall, but I know there's some that are where you don't require that green stamp uh, from the state, and there's other ones where you do. And <clears throat> James River operates on a non-admitted basis, which means that they're not admitted to offer insurance in any state. Now, in some states, that doesn't matter, and in other states, it does. And in states where a non-admitted company is wishing to insure in an admitted state, the way they have to do that is they have to find a second firm that is ah. admitted to do insurance in that business gotcha. to carry the power for them, and then James River will turn around and reinsure their loss, basically, 100%. Got it. So how many, how many companies do you think have decided to accept James River's policy on an automated basis? Is that uh, I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm guessing again that it's going to be a number that doesn't, isn't going to look good for the Uber folks. Yeah, it's, it's zero, not, not a single one. You know, and that, that goes back to what the, my agent talked about. You know, we can't insure you for this activity. And there was a, a Geico document that was leaked, uh, an internal memo that basically told everyone in that company, you know, we're not going to be insuring these drivers uh, for this sort of activity. So you have all the reputable firms that are not wanting to touch this with a 10-foot pole. And so you have 10-year ten, uh, 10 companies out of Bermuda that are, are willing to do it. So uh, I don't think there's anything really more damning than that. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that the whole entire thing is a facade. You know, the, the, the background checks are a facade. The, the insurance is a facade. You know, those things are only there so the Uber apologists can say, no, we've, we've got insurance. Hmm. You know? And the last point on that, um, and I just picked up, just a couple of days ago, I picked up an underwriter of all people who asked me about Uber, and then I sort of go off for a couple of minutes on Uber, and <laughs> he, uh, he divulges to me that he's an insurance underwriter. And I was like, oh, perfect. I was like, I'm going to... 
I'm going to run my ideas by you, and you tell me if I'm uh, full of it or not. And uh, he was ta- I'd asked him if he had ever heard of James River Insurance, and he had it. You know, this is someone who's in the business, right. Right. which I thought was interesting. And I, I told him something I had read that um, Uber's premium, or excuse me, Riser's premium, was uh, $1.2 million last year. And for a policy that covers everything for hire vehicle for Uber nationwide, to only be a million dollars is incredibly slow. troubling because I know yeah. that my company is way more than that. But we're just uh, one outfit in one city. Right. Um, so they paid $1.2 million in premiums, and guess how much James River Insurance paid out in claims last year on that policy? Mm, All last I have, year. love to know, actually. That'd be fascinating. Yeah, it's $32,000. Wow. $32,000. And when I told uh, the underwriter guy in my cab uh, that story, he said something that was very interesting. You know, I sort of told him everything that I just told you guys, and uh, of course he knows it's sort of a, a veil, if you will. But he says that's most telling because insurance companies, and these are his words, uh, insurance companies do not make money by, you know, premiums in less claims out right. that whatever the difference is, is our profit. That's not how insurance companies do business. Insurance companies do business by investing the premiums in other uh-huh. areas and making money on, on that capital that they have sitting there. Right. This is why uh, Warren Buffett was so big into buying Geico, and, and he even talked about that fact. And what other business do you pay in advance, and whether you use it or not? Right. You know, and the cap, the money sitting around enables you, you know, very smart people can figure out how to make a lot of money uh, with that sort of capital sitting around. But here you have a company, you know, he even said you could pay five times uh, in claims as you paid in, in premiums, and they're still going to come out ahead. Right. You know, but apparently you have a company who's doing it an entirely different way, which is, uh, you know, premiums in less claims out. That's how much we made. And he's like, that's, He's like, that's incredible. He, he, he couldn't believe that that was what the numbers were. Right. You know, so again, all signs point to uh, something incredibly fishy going on here. So that's um, the nuts and bolts of, of the insurance aspect of it. So I, uh, Chuck, I know you've been very silent and patient here. Um, and I definitely want to give you a chance to jump in before we have to wrap up. But, uh, Andrew, I, I definitely would love to ask you, like, what is the next chapter in this story, right? I mean, and you could even, of course, the Las Vegas chapter, at least at the moment, right, they're not operating. Um, but it's sort of looking both at, at Vegas, I assume Uber's going to continue to try and figure out a way to get back in. Um, but then also just on a, on a more macro level, how, how is, where is this going to go next? Well, what's uh, specific to Nevada, and there's some precedent here because we can look at what Uber's done in other markets uh, where they've been shut down and, and what their next step was. I'm going to make a prediction that Uber's next plan is that they're going to focus on the Uber black aspect or the, the town car, hired car sort of aspect where they're going to try to create an arrangement with the states and the limo companies here in town, the town car companies, to sort of book fares for those pre-existing insured and checked vehicles. Hmm. And they're going to try to, you know, insert themselves into that arrangement 
and uh, accept rides or book rides in exchange for a fee from from the limo companies. And that's what they're going to come back with the regulators with. And they're going to say, well, let's let's sort of start with this, and this is what they did in Philly, and this is what they did in in New York City. And it, it's sort of interesting. It, it makes a lot of sense, right? Well, we'll just, okay, we'll use the uh, licensed vehicles and we'll sort of just, you know, any customers that want to use our service, we'll, we'll, we'll let them do that. And then you'll actually execute the transportation. Right. So, and that sounds great. That sounds like, okay, well, that's sort of a, a good compromise, you know, because the rider has the insurance and also the ability to use your service, you know, sort of a win-win. But then what they're going to do is right back to their old methods. They're just going to they're, and they're going to announce, yeah, we got a deal in Nevada. Uh, we're we're able to operate here again. Everything's cool. And then they're just going to relaunch the UberX all over again, even though they don't have permission to do that. They're just going to start that all over again and gain more customers and gain more fans, if you will. Fans is maybe a good word because uh, fans are traditionally not very bright. Uh, so, and then they're going to wait to get shut down again. And only this time there's going to be a lot more <clears throat> support for them because they're going to have that many more customers and that many more signatures on their petition. And, and everyone's going to say, why are you keeping Uber down? You know, that's, that's my prediction is that uh, they're going to sign an agreement with the existing limo companies and then they're just going to restart the UberX thing all over again without permission and see what happens next. So, and real quick, with regards to the different markets, uh, this is, should be mentioned too that Nevada is not uh, special in this regard. You, you may think um, that we are. Yeah, we're the only state so far that's statewide issued a ban, uh, preliminary injunction. But there are markets everywhere that have made the same determination. And now yes. even the ones that, that were sort of duped before are now coming back and saying, wait a minute, that, some of that stuff you guys told us isn't what's happening, and, and now they're starting to take a, a second look at it. And, of course, all these sexual assaults and the race and something and all that stuff is, is, is serving that purpose, too. It's making people take another look at it. But just a quick rundown. I mean, you've got currently Portland has shut Uber down, and they're still operating illegally there. And Portland's even suing them for multiple things. You know, every market Uber goes in, they're getting sued on multiple fronts. The regulators are suing them, the drivers are suing them, the passengers are suing them, and the taxi drivers are suing them. So literally everywhere they are, they're they're getting lawsuits on four different fronts. So Portland, San Antonio, Orlando just recently came to a sort of an agreement. Uh, Toronto has given them a ton of heat. Uh, Vancouver, now L.A. and San Francisco, both DAs uh, filed suit this week about... um, of their safety checks, and you know, this is San Francisco—that's their home city. You know, even San Francisco right. is saying, "Wait a minute, there's there's something going on." And the DA there has filed suit, and then you have other nations. You know, almost everywhere in Europe, they have huge problems. You know, they've been shut down in Spain, shut down in France. They were shut down in Germany. Now they're recently uh, started again, even though nobody rides Uber cars in Germany. Do you know why? You want to take a guess? I don't know. Tell me. It, it's because every cab in Germany is a Mercedes. Ah. You know, and Germans, uh, they're very fond of their cars. They're very fond of their right. their roads, you know. That's something they, that's, that's, a, that's embedded deeply into their culture, you know. So why, it, it, 85% of people in Germany said they wouldn't take Uber even if it was less expensive. Hmm. You know, why would I jump in a, in a, a BW Golf 
with some a-hole that I could jump in a Mercedes with a professional. You know, that's how the Germans, <clears throat> the Germans sort of look at it. So uh, Belgium has shut them down. Netherlands has shut them down. Thailand has shut them down completely nationwide. These are all nationwide, you know. Uh, they're having big problems in Rio now. Uh, and I feel like, and of course, India with the rape allegations, um, they've been shut down there, uh, I believe, in every market or nationwide, something like that. Big, huge problems in India. And they had problems in India before, even with um, uh, their payment system. That's a whole other thing we won't get into. But So Nevada's not special in this regard of taking a close look at Uber. And so, and really, we're, uh, we're doing what should be done. And, and like I said, yes, I'm biased, but uh, feel free to check anything that I've said here today. And when you come back to me with a rebuttal, you know, you tell me something that's a good, a good justification for what's going on. I would love to hear it. Yeah. Wow, it has been fascinating so far. Chuck, do you want to jump in here and ask uh, Andrew anything before we wrap up? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, Andrew, thank you for this uh, fascinating long haul through the, uh, the <laughs> nether regions of, of the, the, the digitization of, of, of transportation. Uh, I was curious if you could draw some... Uh, differences between Uber and maybe other ride-sharing uh, apps, uh, Uber, Lyft, Sidecar, and uh, secondarily uh, the old Taxi Magic, which I think changed its name to Curb, and Ride Genie, which I know operates in, in Las Vegas. Are these all kind of lumped into the same thing? I know we're mentioning Uber, 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 but what about Lyft and Sidecar and these, uh, these other ones? Right, that's a good question. Uh, like I said, uh, the Devonta James River Insurance is, is the same company that's providing for Lyft. Uh, that's not a coincidence because these companies can't get anyone else to carry those sorts of policies. Uh, I believe Lyft is has a much better approach in that they're sort of just able to follow behind Uber. Uber's the big snowplow out front with the, with the big funding. And uh, which, by the way, maybe some other time we could talk about uh, Google's interest in, in Uber and, and why yeah. they, they decided to back them. Uh, it, it actually quickly has to do with automation and the automated car. I think that's the end game uh, for Uber and, and Lyft is to uh, change customer behavior. That's, that's a big thing of what's going on right now, consumer behavior. But Lyft has a much better approach in that they can sort of just sit back and let Uber take all of the brunt of the hit, and they can come out bending in looking like a good guy. And I think they're doing a good job of that. You know, yeah, they don't have the market share that Uber does, uh, and or the branding even. I mean, it, it is Uber is now synonymous with the entire industry. It's sort of a verb now. Right. So I think in the end, I wouldn't be surprised if. If, if the ride-share companies win or the alternate cab companies win, but Lyft ends up ahead just because I think in the end their public perception is going to be a lot better. And, um, you know, like I mentioned, that L.A. and San Francisco were both uh, CAs were both suing Uber for uh, a few different offenses. And Lyft has already came to an agreement with those cities, and they've made a settlement of $500,000 so they can sort of be done with it. Meanwhile, Uber's going to lawyer up and, and play hardball. So that's sort of the, the two different approaches uh, from the company. And I think Lyft is very smart to, to take that approach because all the bad press you see is about Uber. You don't see very much bad press about Lyft, and that certainly plays in their benefit. So with regard to the other ones, uh, Ride Genie and um, 
that's obviously something I'm, I'm not super familiar with. I, I've heard of it, and I know they're, they're trying to do that here. But uh, in the end, it, it's going to come down to assurances for the rider. And you know, what exactly are you paying for? Um, <clears throat> so I, I think all those things are, are, can be put together into one group. <clears throat> Perhaps it might be good for the, the TA to consider putting furry neon blue martini glasses <laughs> on the grills of all the taxi cabs. That will probably be the day I stop driving my car. <laughs> so, Hunter, back to you. That, <laughs> yeah. That was funny. Um, so I do, uh, we do need to wrap this up, but before we go, um, I guess we, we covered a lot of ground. Really fascinating. I learned a ton. Um, uh, is there anything? Is there any major uh, aspect of this that we haven't touched on yet? Well, I think it's um, like I said, the the Google influence and what the really what the end game is for Uber. You know, uh, people ask me, you know, you're just mad about this because they're stealing your job and everything. You know, I'll tell you, Uber is not going to be responsible for the termination uh, of my job. What's going to be responsible for that is the automated car which it's not a coincidence that, that Google is testing the automated car in Nevada, and I think they're over 100,000 miles already accident-free. You know, and there's something, uh, I'll admit, uh, something very sexy about having an app where you call up a car and five minutes later a car pulls up to your driveway without a driver in it. And, you know, if we can eliminate all the accidents and we can eliminate all of the insurance concerns, then, wow, Uber's really going to... Uh, be up to something, you know, they're really going to have something. And I think that's the real reason why they've got these investors is because they're seeing, you know, 20 years ahead. And, right. and I made the, made the comment too, that I think the people that are, are having babies right now will probably be the last people to teach their kids how to drive. You know, huh. that'll be something uh, of the past. And imagine too, your car currently is a liability, you know, but it, in this scenario, your car becomes an asset because imagine you own one of these automated cars and, and you, if your automated car takes you to work uh, in time for your work, and instead of sitting in the parking lot all day doing nothing, your car can go out and earn money for you. Your car can go out and, um, and take people to places in exchange for money, and it'll never hit anything, and it'll never hit any other automated thing. Because it's, uh, you know, of course, automation has paid huge dividends in, in aviation. Uh, you can already see how much safer it is, you know, from the, the systems that are installed in planes now. And I think the same thing will happen with with automobiles. So, and then you're you're done with work at 5:30. Your automated car knows this, of course, and it's sitting out front um, of your office and time to take you home and uh, time for dinner. And as soon as you get out of your car at home, your car's going to turn right back around and, and go back to work and work all night and, and be at your doorstep at 8.30 in the morning to take you to work again. And, and now your car's making you money instead of costing you money. And that's a, that's a, uh, a monumental shift in, in things. And that's what I talk about with the changing consumer behavior. That's really the mode that they're in. That's why uh, they've dropped their rates so much is trying to get people used to doing that. And again, it's no coincidence that Google uh, has latched onto that very, very early. With a yeah. little bit of luck, your back seat won't be covered in puke, too. <laughs> well, not necessarily. I mean, your 
<laughs> your automated car could show up with uh, a, a pile of shit in the back. Who knows? You know, <laughs> there's, there's, there's going to be nobody there to uh, to make sure that doesn't happen. But that's, uh, I think, part of the end game there. That's true. That's funny. Um, Andrew, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this with us today. Uh, this was really great. I really appreciate it. You're very well spoken uh, on the topic, and it's nice to um, to get all of this inside info. And like I, I like I think I said, I've learned a ton. There's a I I feel like I uh, knew a little bit about Uber, but I there was a lot of information here that I uh, that I did not have. So really fascinated. I'm going to uh, include some links to some of the sites and Twitter accounts and stuff that you mentioned in our show notes so that people that are listening can go and read more about this on their own. Um, but of course, uh, my number one recommendation to listeners out there is to follow Andrew on Twitter. So you can find him at LVCabChronicles. Uh, and of course, I will uh, put that link in the show notes as well. But um, you know, there's a, there's a lot more going on there besides Uber. There's a lot of fun and fascinating discussion about Vegasy type stuff. And if you, uh, if you love Las Vegas and if you're listening to this podcast, I would be wondering why you would, if you didn't, um, there's, uh, it's, it's a sort of a must follow account. I think, uh, Andrew gets to see, uh, the workings of the city every single day. So, um, and he's, uh, he's, uh, we're fortunate enough to be the beneficiaries of that. So I appreciate the, the ongoing Twitter feed. And like I said, very much appreciate you spending the time with us here today. Well, I appreciate that very much, and, you know, it's, uh, I had some fun here with you guys sort of laying out some truths, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to do that, and I will leave you with, again, I'll remind you of your question to ask your Uber driver is, how much did your insurance go up after you informed them that you were using your car for this activity? And sit back and watch, watch the nonsense come forward <laughs> I, I, people should go out there and do that and see what happens I would love to hear from folks that, uh, that take on that challenge alright Andrew thanks again um, have a happy holidays Merry Christmas Happy New Year all of that good stuff um, and uh, to all our listeners out there we're going to be doing uh, another episode here pretty soon with uh, all of the recent goings on so stay tuned for that as well mm-hmm.